It's hard to overstate just how important a smartphone is to refugees, migrants, and asylum seekers around the world. No matter where they are, how far they're going, how remote or arduous the trip. There are charging stations in shelters in Mexico, for example. And you'll see just these massive um, charging stations and everybody goes in and charges their phone. So is this like a formal charging station or is this like 10 outlet strips in a corner? 10 outlet strips with duct tape. People who travel sometimes with nothing more than the clothes on their backs will frequently find that a smartphone is everything. A link home to the people who love you a map and communication tool for the people helping you travel, and your way for documenting and sharing the journey that others will see as either a triumph or a cautionary tale. It's also how some people get real-time information and misinformation about what might happen to you when you reach the U.S. border. Attention. Starting May 11th, People who arrive to the U.S. border will not be deported under Title 42. If I were undocumented, what would I do? Uh, The first thing I'd do is cross the border and seek asylum, but I wouldn't stay in Texas. I was blown away when I read that the Spanish hashtag for Title 42 was viewed more than 100 million times on TikTok around the time the U.S. had ended the Title 42 program. A policy had allowed border agents to turn away immigrants because of COVID-19. And the fear in the U.S., revealed in the news and in political rhetoric, was that there would be chaos. Once Title 42 lifts, there are consequences to entering illegally. The U.S. is now back to using the decades-old Title 8. And while that policy allows for migrants to claim asylum, those apprehended under Title 8 for crossing unlawfully could face a more, quote, severe deportation process a ban on re-entry for at least five years, and can face criminal prosecution if they attempt to cross again. We have surged 24,000 Border Patrol agents and officers, thousands of troops, contractors, and over 1,000 asylum officers and judges to see this through. CNN has had reporters on the scene the minute the clock struck midnight and the policy ended, including Rosa Flores. Take one, take one for the CNN look live, take one. Wait, take out your clip. Oh, thank you. On this episode, Rosa Flores is sharing her assignment. We'll talk about the ways technology has reshaped the migrant journey and how it's been both a tool for connection and for conflicting information. I'm Audie Cornish. So this was our first time meeting, and it was virtual because she's been working all hours at the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, I'm an immigrant myself. Wait, I'm from Jamaica. Where are you from? Mexico. Oh, okay. When she was born, her parents were Mexican citizens living in the U.S., but because they couldn't afford health care, her mom crossed the border to have Rosa. And so my pregnant mom crossed over to Mexico had little Rosa and <laughs> crossed the border and brought little Rosa back to the United States. And so I've grown up here. But, you know, in, in covering, for example, in 2019, the family separation issue, it was very difficult for me because a lot of those tiny little babies that were being crossed over by their mothers, I couldn't help but think 
if this was my mother crossing back when I was born, could I have been separated from my mother? And so there's so many instances like that where a lot of the faces of the children that I see or the women that I see, I can't help but think that could be me. And I think that's why it's difficult to cover this, but it also, I feel, is important to cover it with that humanity because we cannot forget about the humanity in talking about this topic and covering this topic. Today, as a journalist, her beat covers much of the U.S. border with Mexico and specifically immigration policy. Dark, cold, dusty. That's how the final day of Title 42 started near the banks of the Rio Grande in El Paso, Texas. Now, as we said, the policy was issued in the early days of the pandemic to stop the spread of COVID-19. And it allowed authorities to swiftly expel migrants at U.S. land borders. In the encampment where hundreds of migrants were waiting to get processed by immigration authorities. Now that it's lifted, migrants who are caught crossing the border illegally will no longer just be turned away. They could be banned from reentry for at least five years or criminally prosecuted. She says that migrants are finding and sharing a ton of information about the policy the same way they learn about everything else on their phones. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've been in locations, both in the United States and in Mexico, where the news, the voice of what migrants are going to do, the direction, it's all coming from their smartphones or WhatsApp groups. Um, I, I hear there's the Honduran WhatsApp groups and the Venezuelan WhatsApp groups. And there's these all, all these groups on WhatsApp and that that's how information flows so quickly. I was in El Paso when the eight migrants who died in Brownsville, Texas, mm-hmm. um, happened, that accident. And in El Paso, as soon as we started doing live shots, migrants already knew because of the WhatsApp groups. They said, oh, we already watched the videos. They're terrible. We're sharing, you know, Venezuela is in mourning. So they already had the hashtag established. Everything. everything. So you can have, a, you could be traveling with virtually nothing, kind of, you know, just your clothes on your back. But you're saying you're probably going to have a device like that is what's going to get it done. A device or several devices. Oh, really? And they also document their journey through these devices. That's the other thing that I feel um, is very common because then they share it with reporters. They share it with their family. Look, this is what I endured. Uh, They share videos of the Darien Gap, uh, videos of the beast, the train that they travel on top of in Mexico. I mean, they, they document this. They share with their families. They talk to their families. To your mind, what's the goal of documenting it? I think it's a myriad of things. Um, first it's, it's so unbelievable what they go through that they want to document it for later. Um, I can remember one migrant that I talked to who said that what they experienced in the Darien Gap was so horrific. And they said, I mean, we saw dead bodies and we had to take video photos of these dead bodies to remind them that those were the risks and the dangers. Um, And and to share that with people back home. 
Right, right, exactly. To share it with people back home, to share it with people that they were going to meet in the United States. And we should say this is that that kind of path um, sort of through Panama that connects North and South America, right, like with Central America. So it is not a small journey. A lot has been written about it. But when you send those images back, is it to say, I did it and you can too, or I did it and I don't want you to try and do it? I think it's a little bit of both, and it depends on the individual. I think it depends on the individual. And some of these individuals are so desperate that it really doesn't matter. The risks that they take, they've told me, really don't matter. But it's at least letting people know this is what is ahead for you. Correct. This is what, I don't know, what kind of shoes you should wear, right? Like this is kind of, you should prepare for X, and I'm sending you these images so you can see that. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And then there's also pride that I've seen in their survival of this, right? It's like the, the, the journey is so arduous and so difficult and so risky and so dangerous that after they've overcome all of this, there's a sense of pride. Like I've done this and now I'm unstoppable. And does that include getting to the other side and ending up in a shelter or in a bus to New York because some governor, you know, is trying to prove a point? Like, does it matter where you are if you just end up on the other side of the border? Well, you know, and it's interesting that you mentioned the buses that might take you to New York and that sort of thing, because that's one of the other messages that uh, spread on on WhatsApp groups. These free buses that are available by the governor of Texas that will take you to New York for free. And all they needed to do was ask for a destination like New York or Chicago or D.C. And even if they weren't going there, even if their families were in Miami, for example, they were going to D.C. because that would get them closer to their final destination. That would get them closer to their families. Um, and another really interesting thing now that I think about it. Um, and I remember witnessing this in Del Rio, Texas. And I thought, wow. So this woman was on her phone sharing with her family, what she had just, uh, gone through, but her description made it seem like the United States had welcomed her in. She was allowed in. And now there was an organization helping her out. So it was a very rosy picture Mm -hmm. and she was on FaceTime and I thought, well, what she's describing in her words might be accurate for her. It's actually misinformation. Oh, so let's let's dig into this a little more, this misinformation part. What in that moment to you felt like completely misinformation, meaning like how are you out there reporting it? The facts are anyone who enters in between ports of entry enters the country illegally. Now, we're a country of laws. And so if you turn yourself into immigration, they will apply the law of the land at that point in time. And you're processed by immigration authorities. And if you are admissible into this country, they will give you some documents and you will probably... Uh, have to go see an immigration judge. But that is not being allowed in. You see what I'm saying? I do. And and, and the description that is 
shared with family members in that way is inaccurate. And it sends the message that the border is open when it's really not. So that's one way that a kind of, well, we're using the phrase misinformation can spread, right? So quite literally, a, a person's reality, which is, I made it, I'm on U.S. soil, and whatever papers I have to sign, it doesn't matter because I made it. That That's sort of one picture you can send back home that would draw others. There's also other kinds of misinformation, right? People who are out there maybe spreading incorrect ideas about immigration policy. Is that something you see as well? Absolutely. I think that is the majority of the misinformation that has been driving a lot of the crises that we've seen on the border. And what I see is smugglers using whatever U.S. policy or whatever U.S. politics of the time and using that in their favor to make money, to convince migrants to make this dangerous trek and go to the U.S. border. Um, a lot of the migrants that I've interviewed all along the U.S.-Mexico border have said this. I saw this on social media. I saw this on Facebook. I saw this on Instagram. But, but it what was is the my- this, right? Like we've been reading that the Title 42 hashtag in Spanish has been used 109 million times. Um, so you're saying that one of the users of a hashtag like this would be a smuggler saying what? This is your opportunity to enter the United States. You do it now before Title 42 lifts. And then they'll switch it. Oh, well, your opportunity is now after Title 42 lifts. Um, I remember back when President Biden took office, the narrative that the smugglers were using was do it now that President Biden has taken office. Uh, I remember asking people on the border and I said, why, why now? And, and they would say, well, I heard about this president who is opening the borders for migrants. And I said, where did you hear it? With, from who? And they, they'd say on Instagram, on Facebook, on the news. And I'm like, wait, what news? And it's that news spreading on, on social media and WhatsApp groups. And of course, none of that was true. So the kind of word of mouth news. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Back to my conversation with correspondent Rosa Flores and her assignment covering the border for CNN. I want to talk to you about um, what is being done to kind of deal with this kind of informal or formal, frankly, information network. Meaning we're hearing the Biden administration talk about this a little more. You're hearing it as a reporter. 
Is there anyone who's like, this is a problem, or are there just too many other problems going on for anyone to set it aside to deal with? The Biden administration has been trying to combat misinformation. Uh, I think that they have been doing not such a great job until now. Um, I think that their messaging has mostly been from the White House podium, from D.C. Uh, yes, Secretary Mayorkas has been to the border multiple times. But, for example, as a reporter, I've been asking for access since President Biden took office at various sectors on the southern border to really show the American people and report from the ground on what Border Patrol is doing, on what, you know, the special agencies within the federal government, what they're doing on the border. And I'm still waiting. I'm still on a waiting list. So your theory is they want on tape behind the official kind of U.S. presidential seal, et cetera, an image that can be broadcast to the world in the region that says don't come. Or hear the consequences. And I don't think that that's been working. Yeah. Uh, And and that really has been working. That has not been working, in my opinion, because I've seen how misinformation has spread, how uh, migrants, I ask them about the border being open or closed, and that message has not been delivered. I mean, it just has not been received. Um, They go back to their Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups and the word spreading that the border is open. So they say, no, no, you don't know. I've been hearing X or like kind of what's that dialogue like? Right. Well, I I open endedly ask them what what they're hearing, why they're um, coming now, you know, why they're making the trek now to try to objectively ask them uh, what their reality is. And they say that they believe that the border is open, that the time is now, that under President Biden, who has a very humane uh, side for migrants, that he's helping them, he's allowing them in. Um, and so all of that misinformation um, and and the, that misinformation spreading um, is clear as a clear ind- indication to me as a reporter that the message that the administration had been trying to deliver was not being received. Mm. Now, I feel that that has changed in the past few weeks. And here's why. Wait, just few weeks? Yes. What's going yes. on? So in the past few weeks, what we've seen is the administration showing their enforcement action in a way that we really hadn't seen before. So in El Paso, uh, when I was there covering this current migrant surge, we saw federal agents walking around a church asking migrants to turn themselves in. It was very visual, very prominent. These federal agents were wearing flak jackets. They had guns. They... Uh, There were dozens of them around this one church. That was a very visible presence. Now, the other thing that happened is the administration gave access to reporters to take video of deportation flights. Wait, so just so we're clear, so it Mm -hmm. was like, this is a conscious effort. Like, we need to make sure there are images in the world of people being deported. Now... I don't know that the administration will make it that explicit, but 
Phil Mattingly asked this question because I sent it in. I said, please ask it because I want to know if this is deliberate, if this is a deliberate intention. Joining us now is Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, Mr. Secretary, the president met with you yesterday with Secretary Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, about the end of Title 42. You know, one of our colleagues on the ground said it appears the Department of Homeland Security is making a very clear effort to, to kind of showcase the law enforcement efforts, federal agents and black jackets and handcuffs. Um, is it intentional? Are you trying to, to make very clear from a kind of more muscular law enforcement perspective through pictures that this is not what maybe people are hearing uh, from the other side of the border. And he didn't write out say yes, but in his answer, the answer was yes. So we have been communicating for months accurate information, and we've been building on those communications and only amplifying and enhancing our efforts. Just in, You're saying ago. he didn't say no, that's completely wrong. Correct. Because it's like, this is significant. This is different. This is new. The administration was not doing this. Believe me, I've been knocking on this door for a really long time, trying to get access to have a more complete report on what is happening on the border. And here, and here's the key, Adi. And, and I think that until now, the images that we were given access to were migrants entering the country, walking in and going to nonprofits and getting food and water, getting on these buses that Governor Abbott uh, is offering, which in the migrants' eyes are just for free. And so this shows that there's a flow in. It does not show the reality of U.S. laws, which deportation and before Title 42 expulsion happened every single day. What do you wish people understood about this particular moment that you're you're not sure they do right now? Mm. I think what's missing is that this is a global migration that's happening. I think in the past, there's been this focus on these are Mexicans, these are Central Americans that are at the foot of the U.S. southern border. Right. These are Libyans way over there. These are exactly, Syrians yes. way over there. Uh, it's Each problem is somehow discrete. And what's happening now is a migration at the global level. And, and the reason why I say that is the nationalities that are being encountered on the southern border, some of them are not from the Western Hemisphere at all. In fact, the, the U.S. government releases the 21 top nationalities encountered, for example. And there are some that are not from the Western Hemisphere. They include India, for example, Myanmar, Romania. You were reporting about Afghans who that you believe were making their way to the Mexico border. Exactly. And, and, and the way that I got onto that story was because I was looking at the data that was being released by the Mexican government of the individuals who were seeking asylum in Mexico. And one of the top nationalities were Afghans. And so I think that is one of the biggest things that, that people might not understand is that this is different. This is not the migration that we've seen in the United States in the past. And it also changes 
what we see on the U.S. side. And I, and I think, Adi, that this is why this particular, and I would call it a humanitarian crisis in the sense that I've seen so many people who are on the border, homeless, have no food, no money, and nowhere to go. And so they kind of park where they are, frozen a little bit. Yes, yes. And that's why this particular point in time on the border is so different because in the past, the migrants that were coming to the United States had family connections. They had friends. Or even if they were unaccompanied children, they were meeting with their parents or their grandparents. And so we never really saw homeless migrants on a border city. It it just, we didn't see it in this magnitude. And the reason why we're seeing it now is because this is a global migration, because the individuals who are coming to this country have no family connections. They have no friends. I can tell you how many times I've talked to migrants and I ask them, okay, so where are you going? New York. Oh, okay. So who's waiting for you in New York? Nobody. That's very high stakes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everything is high stakes for these individuals. Um, that are risking everything. I mean, they've imagined like selling everything you own and then just, you know, hitching rides and going through dangerous jungles and hopping on a cargo train and holding for dear life. Um, you know, it's just, everything is really high stakes for them, I feel. Does this story burn you out? You know... I believe in doing a good job at telling the story because of the humans involved that sometimes I probably overwork (laughs) in trying to tell the story. So in the sense, in the sense of just the long hours it takes, the traveling to these uh, places along the border that is, that is difficult and, and just time consuming to get there. I mean, I just, I just believe in doing a good job at telling this story because human lives are at stake. And, and I think, and I, and I, I also always try to do a good job at humanizing the migrant story so that everyday Americans can connect to migrants because I feel like as a journalist, I can do that. I can humanize this issue so that any American sitting in their living room or dining room watching the news can connect with these humans who are fleeing persecution. Because I think the reality is, regardless of what you think about immigration, millions of migrants have entered this country and are in cities and states across this country. And we're going to have to live together somehow, right? Like we're, we're going to have to make it work somehow. And through that human connection, I think it's possible. Rosa Flores is a CNN correspondent covering domestic news across the U.S. and Puerto Rico. She spoke to us from the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. That's it for this episode of The Assignment. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. 
Our producers are Madeline Thompson, Jennifer Lai, Lori Galaretta, Carla Javier, and Dan Bloom. Our associate producer is Isoke Samuel. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Mixing and sound design by David Shulman. Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish. Thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.